All right. Can you say something real fast? Hello. Oh, great. Um, all right. We're here with Ernest Johnson from Ubuntu Village, Nola. Thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you for having me. So, for starters, I wonder if you could just tell us a little about the history of your organization and what you do. Uh, Ubuntu Village NOLA is a nonprofit organization that works around mass incarceration, and particularly young people who are targeted by the criminal justice system. Um, we work around um, economic development, um, transformative leadership, and um, leadership development. Our ultimate goal is to stabilize families in a way that gives them the opportunity to have ownership of their dreams and opportunity economically to foster um, um, culture that's, that enable them to live a sustainable life. And sort of in terms of uh, campaigns and projects that you work on, what does that look like so far? Um, we really haven't started a bunch of campaigns, and we're kind of trying to stay away from in particular campaigns okay. um, because they kind of tend to start off fast and go slow. But we have one design, um, a $10 campaign, understanding the, the culture of um, grants and um, funding. We are trying to obtain funding to sustain ourselves in a way that we don't have to um, depend on a lot of other resources. And one of the other campaigns we have, it's not, it's not a campaign, but it's a way of um, us developing a capacity and building capacity in a way that we have families and kids and their peers that's part of a Butu village. Mm -hmm. um, and then sort of as part of, I mean, something that sort of I guess embodies all of the, the aims that you were describing a second ago uh, is this report that you recently released, Parents Fighting for Youth Justice. Yes, we understand that, you know, through mass incarceration and any criminal justice system that it's important that parents understand and be educated in a way to navigate the system. It's unfortunate that this report reveals that a lot of parents go through the juvenile justice system without understanding fully um, what's the consequences of being in that system and the impact that it has on families. So we decided to do a report to kind of give a snapshot of what parents go through when they're in the criminal justice system, more likely the juvenile justice system, because we find that's a critical stage where young people can have an opportunity to change their life around. So we wanted to give a snapshot of what goes on in juvenile code. And so how did you choose juvenile court specifically as a place to focus? Um, well, I've been, previously I worked for a nonprofit that worked around um, juvenile justice. Mm -hmm. So in founding Ubuntu Village, we decided to go the same way but with a different aim and being familiar and have relationship with people who work in the juvenile court system. It, it, we felt like it was much easier for us to have a build a relationship and um, possibly have solutions that were tangible opposed to fighting the criminal justice system when it's the whole criminal justice system where it's much more concrete than it is in a juvenile justice system. Mm -hmm. And so in the production of this report, you ended up working with um, a number of parents and grandparents of kids who were caught up in the system. Definitely, yeah. We worked with, we collected 71 surveys through a, a course of five months at juvenile court. Mm -hmm. We held three focus groups um, with a total of 20 of those parents, and then we had a research team of nine parents um, to conclude the report. Mm -hmm. 
So, I mean, right there, I mean, talking about sort of leadership development, talking about these kind of things, it's sort of embodied in the process itself. Yes, and we, and intentional, we've done it intentional, and, I, you know, me being familiar with the juvenile justice system, step away from some of the focus groups and allow the parents and those participants to actually have a voice to say how it should be in their experience. So it's a, it was a great idea of, um, putting the report together and coming up with solutions so that we can move forward in this system. Mm -hmm. um, and so what were some of the findings of the report? Uh, well, one of the alarming findings in it is that 99% of the youth that are arrested in Orleans Parish are African Americans. Mm -hmm. uh, another alarming statistics was that the most of the parents were mothers, um, some elderly, Mm -hmm. Some younger, but most of, and grandmothers, right? So it was mm -hmm. mainly women that you found that was in courthouse in the courtrooms, and it was a disturbing, uh, an alarming um, statistic, you know, to see that there's so many women has to, you know, take time off from work and, you know, take mm -hmm. care, be a primary um, caregiver of their kids when they're missing work and. Um, having to go down to juvenile court. Another alarming, it's not as alarming, but the, the time of um, the procedures of the um, judicial system at juvenile court, when the average parent had said she had to go there six or seven times, there were a lot of continuous, mm -hmm. um, without any explanation or information being provided to the parents, what made a lot of parents frustrated about the process and not having a full understanding and psychologically some of them say they just want to accept a, plea, a guilty plea just to get it over with just to get it over mm -hmm. with you know opposed to coming back and forth and as you see in the report um, if there there's no public transportation that leads to the facility or the courtroom so it makes a, it's a strain on parents if they come to the courtroom and there's a continuance and they have to come back another time and going back and forth. It's just, it just weighs parents down. Yeah. And then um, it had mentioned somewhere that, that also parents were being forced to go at something like 9 in the morning. Every parent goes yes, at the same time. Yes. And the, 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 it's one of the things that the docket, all the dockets were allotted for 9 o'clock. So everyone would come at 9 o'clock. And then someone would sit there for hours until the next you know, until they called and to call. So some of the parents say it makes much more sense, sort of like a doctor appointment, if you manage your docket in a way that yeah. sprays this out. I know what they expect. I won't just be sitting there inside of the halls of the courtroom, without, you know, and waiting. And then in some cases, come out and tell me that your case has been continued and you have to come back another day. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's so much. And I think also, I mean, just going back to the sort of gendered aspect that you were talking about earlier, I mean, we were talking about women who are already, we know, making much less on the dollar than men yes. to start off with in the city. So I mean, Yes, and, and, and for them to be missing work, yeah. you know, it, it's, it, 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 it compounds a lot of other frustrations to add. Yeah. What, um, was there a third of the key findings? Yeah, uh, one of the, there was three findings. There mm -hmm. was the, the, the parenting part that, illustrated that there were more females and women that were coming to the courthouse. Mm -hmm. There was the finding of the time um, that was spent down there in the courtroom. And the other one was the 
African, 99%, 98% of the kids and families that were in the courtroom was African-Americans. Mm-hmm. What was the, there was something about um, sort of getting into talking about the rehabilitative programs that were there? Yeah, so they, they talked about the rehabilitative programs that exist, and most, a lot of them is short-term because mm-hmm. they are alternatives to detention, and parents are looking for sustainable, long-term rehabilitative um, services. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate that um, the court doesn't have long-term rehabilitative um, programs that exist there. So our goal is to try to create and to work with them to have some long-term rehabilitative programs outside of the courtroom as a preventive measure also. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, well... If it's all right, I wanted to read this excerpt that uh, that you had put in the introduction of the report just to start thinking about, um, you know, uh, some alternatives and solutions that uh, are put forth in the report and just sort of hear your thoughts about, about what can be done about these pretty terrible findings. Um, so there's this quote that's from the sort of Federal Office of Juvenile Justice and Delinquency Prevention um, that says that their sort of, uh, I guess, aim or the ideal for the sort of youth... Um, uh, um, I guess justice systems, for lack of a better term, um, is the, the ambition is to be actively engaging system-involved and formerly incarcerated youth and their families and planning and decision-making that affects their lives. It means giving them a voice in the development of policies, practices, and governance of the agency or systems in which they are involved. Family engagement should be a collaborative relationship where the families are considered partners in both their child's treatment and the policies programs and practices of the juvenile justice system itself. And so it seems pretty clear that a lot of these right. aspirations are not being met. Right. Um, so there's there's a couple of things that, that needs to happen in order for those things to actually be concrete and for families. It's one, there's, there's a client privilege, right, um, mm-hmm. for attorneys that in a lot of cases, um, most attorneys are not are, are not obligated to the parents mm-hmm. if the child is their client. So we're trying to bridge a gap to, to make attorneys understand that the parents is the primary caretaker and they know the child's experience and the child needs and behavior. Also, there's a lot of confidentiality around how procedures are processed in a juvenile coach, court where they don't want to engage the parents in a way that's authentic that says because by law there's different stipulations that district attorneys and attorneys can use. Mm-hmm. So using that language, what we're saying is that if you allow the parents to be part of that plan as in that language, then mm-hmm. the price, the burden of the responsibility not only lies on the court, but it lies on the parent and everyone is involved. Mm-hmm. So we are hoping that that is the sort of the, like the torch barrier and language-wise and policy that the juvenile code takes it up. And if you talk to some of the people there and some of the judges, they can quote that backwards, right? Huh, they uh-huh. understand it and know it, but actually putting it in practice is something that we're trying to develop and push for. Yeah. Because it seems like, I mean, or I mean, I guess this is almost an obvious statement, but that it is—it's almost a systemic thing that's bigger than even the judgment. I was at your release event where you had the quote from one judge who had just said, 
I don't want to put these kids in, you know, these, you know, system and stuff, you know, and it's like, right. you know, but this is just like one person in this whole system that's set up in this way. Right. And that's what we're trying to get the judges to understand that they hold the ultimate power to yeah. apply the law. So even if we are having all these other problems, if they are applying the law in a way that's fair and just to the families, then some of these other moving parts can start kind of getting on board. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, what is there sort of moving forward for your organization? Uh, is there sort of uh, any, um, what's, it, what's next, I guess? So what's next, our, our plans are to, one, to push for an advocate, a parent advocate inside of the courtroom. Mm-hmm. Our plans is to push for uh, a manageable do- docket that is expedited in a way that's fair and just to families. Mm-hmm. Our goal is to push for long-term rehabilitative services that foster you know, the culture of kids' behavior. And there's one more. Um, help me. Um, there's one. There's the advocate, specific appointment times, long-term, re- oh, and then involved parent and child input. In the input, right. Mm-hmm. It's in the beginning of the plan. Thank you for helping me with that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's their input um, initially at their first court appearances that we we're trying to implement and saying that let's have sort of this intake process and understand instead of just looking at what the kid is charged with and his his court records. Let's look at the parents and everybody and come together and say, what is the best plan for this kid at this particular time mm-hmm. while he's going through this process? To have a manageable docket, long-term rehabilitative, and the parent advocate is someone who understands, who has possibly has navigated the system themselves into, so that they can have a understanding that all oh, this is just not systemic and court system-wise, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's a lack of trust when everything you have to go to uh, is in the courtroom. Mm-hmm. So we want to build something outside of the courtroom that, you know, even in this area, you know, we are talking about possibly getting a few kids. So even if we are just doing, going through some of our trajectories and, and leadership um, program, they do have a basketball court. There's an mm-hmm. open area that where you can just allow young people to be themselves, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of ideas we want them to foster them back in the community in a viable way that they can grow and be responsible for their actions. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it really just feels like I mean, it feels like such a big part of this. Like, um, you know, I mean, sort of clearly is is so much about trusting parents and about respecting parents' role in bringing up their kids, and it seems like you know, that's been a big disjuncture. And I, I wonder if you would want to speak a little bit too about just the idea that, um, that, that this report sort of comes out of people speaking their experience and comes out of people, you know, who are not, you know, supposed like experts or not external to the system, but who are directly impacted by it. And mm-hmm. it seems like um, that's sort of, yeah, I guess, could you say anything about the, that, that, the need, the need for direct experience in producing information about that. Well, anything, we, we, you know, life teaches us that anything who, anyone who experienced something is, is a better teacher than you reading a book and having, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and developing something that you feel that meets the needs on someone else. Is it always correct? No, we know it's not always correct, but we have to embody that these are these, are these people's lives, right? Mm-hmm. And they're the ones who are going through it and 
I, I, I just can't imagine some of the feelings that some of the parents have to go through with these particular issues and with their kids in a system. And when you put all that together, you know, most of these people who are the experts or the service providers or judicial, at the end of the day, not saying that they don't have no problem, but in this particular setting, they're going to their house when yep. a lot of these families are going back to some poverty-stricken community, some of the culture of violence that's and trauma that um, has affected their kids. So some of them are going back to environments that it's just the opposite of what systemic people or systemic systems are. And we talk about system, we're not talking about individuals and human beings, but we, it's just a, a total difference. So when parents, you know, we value all parents or value anyone's life and as a human being and looking at it through the lens of hope and prosperity, you know, and that this person, nobody wants to be poor, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it, we do have some lazy people, right? in general, but nobody definitely just want to be poor mm -hmm. and, and, and don't want their best for their kids. It's just that because we look, we face in a country where there's systemic and oppression and racism mm -hmm. lives that yeah. is, has promoted some of these social ills that families, in, in particular in mass incarceration, go through. Yeah. Well, I guess um, I would, just for the... Um, I wonder if you could tell our listeners how they might get involved uh, or learn more about your organization. So, Ubuntu Village Northern is a nonprofit organization um, that um, we we always looking for volunteers. We have a ten dollar campaign. We always need resources. Um, you can uh, email us at uh, info ubuntu village um, Visit us at four thirty North Galway Street. Um, our doors are always open, um, and um, check us out. All right, great. Ernest Johnson, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you for having me. Take care.